Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. Bitter Red Skull needs a neti pot. (laughs) Today, we're talking about Minute 95, which begins with Steve and Red Skull face-to-face and ends with Steve on his knees. Uh, Back on the show, last time this week, unfortunately, it's Jay Shepard. Hello, Jay. Hey, well, it's been a super week here, so this has been very, very fun. Lots of fun. You know, one of the things we like to do on uh, toward the end of the week is ask our guests, and I know I didn't give you any heads up that this was coming, but favorite Captain America <laughs> moments. Is there any Captain America moment from the film or the comic books that you would say is one of your favorite Captain America moments? Oh, wow. Um, I... I do really enjoy the end of this film. I think just the um the the end of the 1940s segment of this film. Um there's just so many good feels coming from that, you know, the the sacrifices that Steve has to make for himself, uh for his country and, you know, just basically to save the world from the menace of the Red Skull. It's 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 just a really heartwarming moment knowing of course that it's not the end for him as well. So, you know, you can feel good about about that. I don't think anyone, Andy, I, has anyone picked their favorite moment from this movie? Well, uh, from this movie, yeah. No, from this movie, yeah. Some people have, oh, okay. like, picked. Oh, like, I can the, do this all day. I can do this all day. Or, yeah. or I, you know, I think somebody might have picked, like, the very last moment of the movie when he says, I, I missed a date or something like that. I, yeah. I think yep. there have been some. Generally, a lot of them do relate to kind of Peggy and that sort of thing. So, uh, but nobody's really called out that specific minute, which is, or that yeah. moment, which is nice. It's a very, it is that sacrifice. This is a, another grenade for him to jump on, right? Yeah, yeah, big world-sized grenade that uh, will change his life forever. <laughs> yes, yes, it will. Good stuff. Mm. Uh, well, we are uh, talking about Minute 95, and this is all in Schmidt's office lab here in the Alps. And um, the first thing that I wanted to just note before we talk about the conversation between Red Skull and Captain America is I, I found it very interesting that the troopers that are holding Steve are kind, they kind of have their heads tilted down a little bit as if they are like hesitant to look at Red Skull. I thought that was an interesting little touch. I don't know if that's exactly why they're doing that, but. I found it to be very interesting. I don't know if either of you noticed that, but I I, I couldn't help but notice this time, uh, especially the one who's really well lit, like right behind Steve, how he just seems to be looking down the whole time. Hmm. I actually hadn't noticed it that way. I kind of saw, I mean, it, to me, it looked like they were just trying to, you know, have no neck or something like that as they were, you know. <laughs> like they were just trying to be standing guys. at attention. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's yeah, I don't know. I find it to be really interesting the way that they did that. And um, I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, who knows? It could be as simple as Joe Johnson saying, hey, can you just tilt your head down a little bit? We're getting too much reflection off of your goggles. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's entirely Do, possible. And, but... and as far as I know, I, we don't know these guys. I mean, I, you know, Andy, you know me. I looked hard at the mouths of the Hydra soldiers. I couldn't figure these were not familiar mouths to me. Are they familiar mouths to you? I, I knew that you'd be thrilled about these Hydra Hydra faces that we get to see because they don't have the full masks on. Right. Uh, unfortunately, I could not tell uh, who these mouths were. 
the that's Hydra, disappointing. It's very difficult pinpointing the Hydra people. I've only like noticed that one guy to be anonymous. There's the one fungible. guy that we see twice, but yeah. other than that, I just I can't tell. If there was only like a mole that they had that could <laughs> discern some sort of a yeah some identifying feature, Hydra would have had that removed. That's right. That's right. All right, let's talk about the conversation between uh, Red Skull and Captain America. Um, he he comes into this. This uh, it feels very Red Skull, and again, this is this place where you know this is a crazy man who is trying to take over the world, who thinks he's better than everybody, and he comes in talking about Captain America and his arrogance. And uh, you know, I I think that that's an interesting way to approach Steve at the start of this, uh, especially, I mean, looking at this guy who came and attacked him by himself. And again, Pete, to your read, when Peggy was talking to Steve in, in the uh, the remains of the, uh, the whip and fiddle, I suppose that it seemed very logical at this point, huh? Yeah, you'll note, nobody else is with him yet. <laughs> like, he's still alone. <laughs> Turns out I might be prophetic after all. It's it it is funny to kind of come into it that way, yeah. but but I like this. I like the way that oh, yeah. there is this conversation between these two characters, and this is this whole idea, this discussion about limits, what you can do, what you can't do, and how Erskine. Oh, did Erskine tell you otherwise? Did he think you're more special? And there's this real sense of this resentment at this point that Schmidt has for for Steve Rogers being the only other him that is on the planet. And here he is like trying to figure out, like, I, I like his line. He's like, what made you so special? I, th I don't know. I, I love yeah. the, the read of these two characters. How does it play for you two? I was going to say that um, first off the fact that you get the hero meeting the villain like this, right? This is one of those things that, you know, they talk about in screenwriting where, where, you know, how do you get the characters together and, and what creative ways, you know, can you, have the the villain talk to the hero because you know that's where the 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 drama lies but um to your point with red skull you know feeling bitter about this i mean yeah he gets he gets the shaft right he he looks like he looks and you know and steve there's like literally the uh, the nothing line is great because it's true but it's also you know a little biting right you know it's like oh there's nothing special about me and you know that that just pisses off the red skull even more because he feels that he's you know everything great yet you know he looks like he looks because you know due to the the problems with the formula and you know here's this kid from brooklyn and it's like and he gets all of this stuff and you know yeah. has to you know come and blow up my castle well, that that Red Skull, even to this moment, is still carrying a torch for this idea that he, Red Skull, earned the super soldier treatment, right? Because of his genius and science and whatever. That even here, he is carrying on that that sense of uh, entitlement. And that that says everything. This is the time where we have these two characters looking at each other and essentially repeating the I could do this all day. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they come from sentiment speech. But he gets to actually say it to the face of the guy who exists to counter that ideal. And 
in Steve saying nothing, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn, that says everything about who Red Skull believes he is uh, in this world of domination. So Steve is doing this for not himself, right? I mean, he's doing this for Peggy. He's doing this for America. Yeah. The Red Skull is doing it for himself. Himself, yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's a that's also a, a difference between the two of them. Right. The dynamic between these characters is so interesting the way that it plays because the reason that these two are who they are is like what this conversation is about. And I, I find that to be fascinating. Like you said, Pete, Red Skull thinks that he put all this work in. He's this genius. He's the one who deserves all of this stuff. And he still cannot figure out why Erskine would try to deny what was what, as he says, what was rightfully mine. I, I find that so interesting to see that, that like he can't get past this idea that there's there's some reason that Erskine wouldn't give it to him. Like, I, I find that like terrifying that that his brain is in such a place that he just can't even look at that. I mean, talk about like a, you know, a, a narcissistic, high conflict individual here. You know, I mean, it's well, that's the blind spot with people who yeah. are entitled, right? That I mean, they feel that that is their due. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. And and it addresses like obviously the scene that we're watching here is a scene about these two guys talking to each other about this thing but it's also an indicator of why red skull is leading this fight in the first place it's because of his inner sense of entitlement of his inner sense of i'm fighting to pay back everyone that has done the done me wrong and to get what i deserve and i think jay you're right on this is a battle between selfishness and selflessness and that's what just these few little i mean this is a, a 60 second sequence with four lines Two from Red Skull and two from Steve. And uh, Steve gets takes the low road when he says, you know, Erskine told me you were insane. And the high road when he says, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. And, um, you know, you, I think you can make the case that he's also taking the low road with that, knowing that he's going to incite Red Skull. He's, yeah, he's goading he's Red goading, Skull yeah, into yeah, uh, yeah. attacking him there. Yeah. Well, but while at the same time being comp completely honest, and that's, I yeah. think, What's what's interesting about the way that Steve plays it is because like there is I mean, to a certain extent, there is nothing special about him. He is just this kid from Brooklyn. He was this scrawny little guy. But what Red Skull, what Johann Schmidt will never see is that it's about about who he was on the inside. And that's the thing that Erskine could see. And that is the yeah. thing that I mean, while he's saying nothing, it really is everything to a certain extent. Right. Like, well, and he's not and he's saying nothing. but. His eyes dart up and down, like just taking Red Skull in. Because uh, well, this is—is is this the first time that they've second that he's time. seen him in person? Right? No, second time. They when he unmasks on the yeah. on, the on the catwalk over the oh, right. over the okay. burning factory. Right. He did a little turn on the catwalk, but he's up <laughs> close, right? And you see his eyes just kind of like look down, look back up as as Red Skull is giving his uh, diatribe there. Um, yeah, but it's also. The, the telling of the truth here, that basically speaking truth to power at this point is the most satisfying thing. And again, I think this is just one of those things that audiences can really get behind. Like, you're just like, yeah, you know, look at the balls on Captain America here for, for, for saying this stuff to Red Skull. But 
he's he's not lying, right? I mean, it's the truth, and it just it just feels good um, for him to you know say that and and you know force the force Red Skull to basically lose his cool, right? And yeah. and right. and strike him. Yeah. yeah, both times that he says things it, it, like he says things that actually incite some interesting emotions from from Schmidt. The second time, absolutely, when he says nothing, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. Like that is the thing that pisses Red Skull off so much that he that there is nothing special about this guy as far as what Red Skull would ever be able to see. And so it causes him to punch him. But what I love earlier when he says uh, he told me that you were insane, talking about Erskine. There is this very brief moment in Red Skull's face, and I love the subtlety, the way that Hugo Weaving is playing the character in this, especially through all that makeup. But there's just a hint of a reaction when he says that, as if he's taking offense to being called insane before it's like he regains his composure and that and that whole thing about, ah, he resented my genius. And, and like, I love the, that subtle response that he has there you can see so much coming through the way that hugo weaving performs out there i think he's just upset that steve's from brooklyn because he's a mets fan (laughs) was the mets around at this time i don't even know if the mets were around at this time well what was the brooklyn team that we saw the poster no but there was a brooklyn there was another one uh, oh right uh, on the posters in the alley you remember i don't remember what that was that was the minute where I got all the posters wrong. I don't know if you remember that. Those were really awesome days. Uh, it was the, oh gosh, I can't remember. No, it was a football team. It was the Brooklyn um, something. I can't remember. I typed something like the Brooklyn Diners. No, it was like. They were it, still workshopping. It was a. It's a Barry Levinson a, movie. It was another. No, that was Baltimore, actually. So. Yeah, right, right. Anyway, whatever it is. They're. Um, uh, the joke is still there. Yes, he's a Mets fan, probably. <laughs> I love, uh, I love the moment though. I, I love the. Are you? Yes. I was just laughing at you, just to, that that you were acknowledging that there was a joke present. <laughs> well, it's because I went it's down. I it. went down the Google road of trying to figure out oh, what no, was the yeah. name of the Brooklyn team. I'm not uh, judging, man. Yeah. I'm just glad you got it, even if it didn't come with a laugh. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I laughed at the time. I'm just, I'm, I'm circling back. Circling gonna, back. I know you're going to cut all this. Jay and I both know you're going <laughs> to cut all this, but it was worth it. Um, all right. But now the the punches. So this is probably the first time since that alley that Steve has felt a punch. I mean, would you say? Right. That's what's amazing about this minute is this is the first time Steve gets to be reminded what it's like to feel somebody hit him and violate him like that. And that that makes it uh, it makes it, you know, more powerful. It makes it more sort of visceral that I think we know that these guys are equals, Um, even though he does fight in the other in the on the catwalk. Well, yeah, I guess he does get uh, the shield gets hit on the catwalk. And that's right. a, that's I guess to him that's that's how he knows that Red Skull rented Red Skull the shield. Something. He is yeah. pretty tough, but yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I I I completely missed that uh, in in my multiple viewings of this film that Steve would actually be feeling these hits at that point. Yeah, yeah, like he gets a you know right hook and then. Uh, back slap and then a punch to the gut. So, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it drops him. I, I think legitimately he drops to his knees. Like I, the way that I read this is that he really 
I mean, it's it's the first time, like in a very long time, that he's been hurt. For sure, for sure. And we can't talk about how great what happens next is, but still, <laughs> it's a it's a great moment for Steve, where he, uh, you know, as a person who is, um, you know, feeling this for the first time, you know, I mean, he is able to kind of raise his head up and look at him, and I, I think that there's strength in character when we see him able to still do that, right? And kind of muscle memory kicking back in because of the way that this scene, um, uh mimics the alley sequence from earlier in the film right absolutely right, right. yep no it's good stuff it's good stuff um i don't know if i have anything else uh for this minute that kind of is the end of the minute as we have steve kneeling on the ground uh you know he's trying to catch his breath red skull's trying to catch his breath after uh as after punching steve a little bit and uh that's kind of where things end any last thoughts on anything going on with all of this or or i mean jay at this point I mean, we haven't really talked to you about your thoughts on Red Skull and the makeup or anything. I mean, any thoughts that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, that, I was actually going to mention uh, just Red Skull and the makeup. Um, uh, I like the the color usage that the fact that they went with such a deep red for the Red Skull and they didn't try to tone it down at all. It it felt very comic accurate, but also realistic in this world of you know non two dimensional four color design that they've set up the fact that you know he doesn't have a nose right it's not the voldemort kind of no nose sort of thing like uh they were going to do with uh gore the god butcher and uh love and thunder um you've actually got you know a digitally removed nose that they've inserted some other stuff there and just you know his redness uh to steve's overwhelming blueness um you know just as uh, uh the clash of colors between these two characters and obviously something that comes from the comics it's just really fun to see on screen uh because it is kind of garish um though they have toned uh captain america's costume down a lot right it's not the it's not the spandex of the uso performance which is right you know, more the more comic accurate version but uh yeah i really love hugo weaving's performance and i forget you know, that this is also Agent Smith and Elrond, right? This is right. because he's behind all this makeup in the second half of the movie here. I just kind of lose the actor and the performance really comes out. I think this is such a good minute for him, right? That we get just in these two lines, we get such a robust and clear view of the of the actual skull. Like he's not moving around. He's just acting through this thing. And, uh, you know, you're so right. Hugo Weaving, even we've, we've had some people on the show who have uh, who have um, had criticisms of Hugo Weaving's uh, comic German accent. I I think after, uh, you know, as long as we've spent with this movie, I think I disagree. I mean, I really I enjoy the kind of character that he brings to this to this comic part and i think it's all of a piece like the accent has to be over the top the the you know in order to match that face like this is where all these pieces come together and it might seem out of place when he's still in his hugo weaving mask but once you see this once you see what this is it all makes sense for me i think it all comes comes yeah together. the scene I, chewing is yeah. um which which he does i mean it's it there is over the topness but like you said to match the makeup and i mean we're talking a literal red skull i mean that's yes. what this guy <laughs> right. is you've you've got to go all the way with it yeah 
You got to go. I, 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 mean, I regret yeah. that he had such an experience with Marvel that he did not come back. I think he would like that. I just think he's so great. And uh, I, yeah. I would love to have seen more knowing how many evildoers they have to get through, churned through in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. <laughs> not a lot of room, but he's just wonderful. So, yeah, he's he's well crafted here. And, and I think Hugo Weaving uh, clearly. I, I know, like you said, I know there were, you know, he may not have enjoyed himself, but I, it seems like he's having fun with the performance. Like, I feel like he's just, just really chewing on every line and just having a lot of fun with what he can do with it. So very well woven. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, well, Jay, remind everyone one last time where they can tune into your shows, read your work, all that good stuff. Well, retrozap.com is the place for all my stuff. That's where we've got, uh, uh, podcasts, including Enjoy Stuff. We've got Scarlet Velocity, a Flash podcast about the Flash TV show, and Superhero Suite, which has news and information on superhero comics, movies, TV shows, and more. And then I also have uh, articles every Saturday called Sci-Fi Saturdays. Uh, you can go back and read a bunch of articles about horror movies and my 31 Days of Horror that I was doing. And you can also find um, a bunch of other fun stuff at uh, about the Marvel Cinematic Universe at mculocationscout.com. And that is a location, uh, maps and write-ups about the various filming locations of all your favorite MCU properties from both the films and from the Disney Plus shows. But not Werewolf by Night. <laughs> not Werewolf by Night. And it's very well organized, too. That's something that you yeah. haven't said, but it's like by by franchise within the franchise, I guess we could say. Yeah, you can go, you can search by phase, you can search by movie or TV, and it includes some stuff that people might not really consider MCU, um, like, uh, the, uh, Runaways and Cloak and Dagger, but it was stuff that was considered MCU at the time before the Disney Plus stuff. So it's, it's, I've gone a little overboard in some things. There's, <laughs> there may be some Spider-Man stuff showing up someday too, because of the crossover with the multiverse there. Oh. Well, we're all waiting on the man thing crossover now that uh, Werewolf by Night has brought him in. So you'll have to jump back into that. Yeah. Movie. <laughs> I, I haven't watched Werewolf by Night. Thanks for the spoiler, Andy. That's not awesome. a spoiler. Well, I was just trying to get you in trouble again. Mm, I see. I see. All right. Well, everybody, check out all of Jay's fantastic stuff going on over at RetroZap and MCULocationScout.com. Lots of fantastic stuff. Jay, thank you again so much for joining us all week. Oh, enjoyed it immensely. Thanks, guys. And Pete, thanks as always. Thing you don't know about me, my face is all CG. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.